introduction because you've been on the Rubin Report 1,700 times. We just checked the records. It's an awful lot, but it's been... Yeah, what did I do? It's been 84 years. Um, no, it's been, a lo- it's been a long time. We had to come to London to do this together. We've got 25 minutes. We had dinner last night. You're, you're, I would say, on it when it comes to the state of the world right now, and your concerns are the things that I think everyone is concerned about right now. I hand you that. Really appreciate it. Don't know what to do exactly. You know, one of the things that came out of the discussion last night is that I don't think we are where we think we are. Um, I give the analogy that if you have a river that has always been flowing in one year, you have unseasonably cold temperatures, it freezes over. People think they can do what they've always done. They can dive off the rock into the river and they're going to hit ice one year and they realize that you have to change your behavior when there's a phase change. I think that many of the recourses that we've thought about, free markets, free speech, um, democracy, uh, have to be rethought if they become gamed. And I think one of the things that we're, we're experiencing is we don't know whether to roll back to a previous version of ourselves, which would be like trying to find safe mode on a computer where the operating system has been become corrupted, or whether we need to go forward for things that aren't capitalism or communism, aren't democracy, because in fact, there's been a phase change in our world. And I think what we're doing is avoiding the question of, you know, for example, if Hamas is a democratically elected government and it engages in pure terror, is democracy what we think it is? Um, does free speech operate the same way if you have armies of bots that can confuse people into thinking that uh, there's a mass of people who believe something, which there isn't on day one, but by virtue of the power of persuasion and social coercion, um, people are afraid to hold simple, decent pr- perspectives because every time they do it, they're torn apart by what seems to be 10,000 uh, accounts telling them that they're an idiot, that they're cringeworthy, that they're over, that they're bar- barbarous. And I, you know, I watched this happen to you. You one of the you've seen my Twitter account, my dad. Well, that's the thing, right? And I saw the rep the, the repetition through what psychologists would call perseveration, where um, you know they would just hit you with the same phrases over and over again. And it causes people to move away from you because we, we have evolutionary programs. So I think one of the things that I believe is that, um, you know, if I think about the early work you and I did together, we were talking about fake news and what was coming. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty prophetic. So that, that stuff held up pretty well. You're on the short list of people that uh, I would say that interviews actually do stand up and, and we're all parked. Right back or, at or, you. Or, or let's say directionally right about where, where this was going to go. Sure. Unfortunately... We're sort of in the prequel version of Star Wars now when Yoda says, well, oh, failed we have. That that seems like in some respect. Well, and somebody tried to execute Order 66. And so the Jedi, uh, you know, were put under a lot of pressure. But one of the things that I really appreciate is uh, the number of people who've had their relationships strained by the relentless attack we've all been under. Uh, you know, you used to be a liberal and a lefty. I'm still in that position um, and the fact is, is that we're still talking. We're still here, man. Well, and a large number of us uh, never stop talking to each other. Somebody, some people have stopped talking to us. But one of the things that I think is really impressive is the extent to which we have held together. And even if I disagree with some of the positions you've now adopted, whatever, uh, uh, the same, same, the same rules go. Yeah. So what I was going to say is, if we want to do the same thing we were doing all those years ago. We have to figure out what are the edgy things nobody's prepared to think that unfortunately are going to be prophetic. And I think one of them is going to be that you can't simply keep invoking 
democracy, the free movement of people, diversity is our strength, et cetera, et cetera, because it's going into a place that's going to be anything but tolerant. We're going to have to learn, for example, that we must be intolerant of intolerance to be tolerant. It's like multiplying negative one times negative one to get a positive number. And I think people are afraid that uh, they're going to have to turn against things that have always been true. But like that winter where suddenly things are colder than usual, the river stops flowing the way it always has and you have to watch it. So in the interest of time, and we'll pick this up back when we're in the States, oh, anytime you can come to the free state of Florida. But so at dinner last night, we had, a, we had a great table of people from James Lindsay and Douglas Murray and Melissa Chen and all, all the and people goes in the usual suspects. Cole, and, is, Cole. and Coleman Hughes. We, this was the whole crew of people trying yeah. to work through all this. What we were whittling it down to last night is exactly what you just talked about there, the paradox of tolerance and what Western societies are going to have to do in the face of now what I guess you would call political or cultural movements that are using our freedoms against us. So in relation to what we saw here just a day or two before you, sure. arri you and I arrived in London, this uh, this 200,000-person-sized protest with Al-Qaeda flags and Hamas flags and River to the Sea chants and everything else, what does a Western society do related to speech? Understanding that You're gonna have Western to, Europe has different sure. laws related to speech than we do. In You're going to have to consider things that you've never considered because what we're doing is we're normalizing the precursors of genocide. These are the precursors of genocide, make no mistake. Your, your friendly college students with blue hair chanting from the river to the sea are talking about the deaths of millions of people. And what's more, the people chanting this are going to get exactly what they oppose. They're going to get farther and farther. They are electing the right-wing government in, in Israel that I don't want. Mm -hmm. you, may, you may support them, but I don't want that right-wing government in Israel. They want to pull their children from the rubble because it, the videos are that powerful. By normalizing the concept of martyrdom, what you're seeing is what I've called the IDF-assisted suicide, um, which is how do we get the IDF to attack our, our cities, our population centers? You know, If we can just, for example, put our military installations proximate to a hospital or a school, uh, we can put the IDF in what I've said is Zugzwang, which is a term borrowed from chess for when every move it, it, your opponent gives you leaves you worse off. Mm -hmm. And if Israel does not extricate itself from the dance of death with a non-traditional foe, it's going to find that it, its soul will be destroyed. And, and I, I want to be very clear about this. We're used to the idea of nations warring over things like mineral rights and shipping lanes and territory. This is not that. This is a non-traditional foe which is saying, we are going to fight you in ways that you don't want. We want you to hurt us as badly as possible because we're after your soul as well as the land. Right. And we're going to do everything imaginable and unimaginable to you in the process. Sure. Right. So we're going to, there will be no rules in terms of what we will do to you. And we will also rip up the rules in how we you will, can possibly We will cause your children to come home from college supportive of barbarism and atrocities beyond the pale. And it's time to release more video on mainstream channels to show what people are supporting. How many people have the guts to watch a uh, resistance fighter take a shovel and attempt to sever the head of a corpse? Uh, what is it like I, I to sh what is it like to shoot into a porta potty? Or at least, please show me the uh, brave resistance fighter shooting directly at the tire of an ambulance. I mean, nobody's getting killed. There's nothing 
graphic about it, but you know what it is. It's like trying to say, we want to make sure that you can't get your, your injured uh, to a place where they can be healed. What we're talking about is, and mark my words, you're talking about a non-traditional foe and all of your intuition is how to fight a traditional foe. And it's time to recognize that Western society has been gamed. And if you do not decorrupt and de-game what has happened, and you keep saying, we want democracy, we want freedom of movement, et cetera, et cetera, uh, diversity is our strength, you're going to, you're, you're talking about killing many people. And it, by the way, this starts with the Jews and it's not ending there. Yeah, well, that's one of the lines that I think from from October night, the first Monday after this, that I immediately said, I think this is about the Jews. You think yeah. when they're you think when they're done with the Jews there, they're going to go like this. Well, but also, but, boy, I want to get this back to the free yeah. speech part because the sure. without without getting too lost in the geopolitics and the right. nature of the fight. What what do you? So we're here in London. There are quite literally hundreds of thousands, if not more, people in this country that seemingly support this. How do you, as a Western nation, defend free speech and defend the right to protest and all that stuff without self-immolating, which seems like it might be happening? Maybe you're misunderstanding. That's what the people who are the hardest line from that side have figured out. No, they I know. So I, they have figured out you are going to be slow to realize yes. that free speech will kill you. Well, this was the nature of our conversation last night when it got pretty hot. Because, because it's the most difficult feelings. conversation. Yeah. And look... If you and I have any basis to our relationship is that we get there early before anybody's willing to talk about these things. Like we, we would have come across as conspiracy theorists before the Twitter files came out, before we knew that the GEC or, or CISA inside the Department of Homeland Security was actually coordinating social media, what could and couldn't be said. What we are going to have to realize is, is that our most sacred tenets have been weaponized against us. And if we do not put the brain power into de-weaponizing and realizing that we are in what I've called the no-name revolution, right? Years ago, 2017, I was saying that on stage at the Masonic. This thing is going to spread worldwide. The, the, the chain of transmission from the Gaza Strip to Iran to distracting the U.S. with its, what, 11 active carrier groups, and then China says how many of those groups have to be engaged in regional skirmishes before the Taiwan Strait becomes more interesting. Mm -hmm. I think what we're not understanding is the post World War II era defined a bubble that will never exist again in human history and that we've spent our entire lives in a, an anomalous period thinking that it's normal. So when, when a lot of people now see our kind of geriatric and, you know, 80 plus year makes old no leaders, sense that back basically gets to the thesis of your point, right? Like we've had a set of leaders and I don't mean it purely on the age level, but, but our intellectual class has been running around defending something that in some ways didn't exist anymore, whether it was economically or, or related to free speech or anything else. Sure. So we just lost Dianne Feinstein, but the fact is that our leaders now are basically have been born in the 40s, maybe the late late 30s. And a lot of these people, they spent their entire life in the shadow of the generation that knew the horrors of the early 20th century. Mm -hmm. And they're not the adults. They're peacetime adults for a peacetime that was only possible because of the anomalous nature of World War II and the intellectual power of atomic weaponry, which caused everyone to realize how serious life was. I can tell you that because I've been talking about the need to explode a rare nuclear device above ground because people have forgotten their fear. They thought that the Cold War uh, consigned nuclear weapons uh, to, to be an archaic concern. Uh, nobody is thinking that anymore. Right. It just it, it things need to be so concrete for people 
to shake them out of their stupor, that it's almost beyond belief. So is that the bizarre, and I hate to use the term, but it's come up a couple of times the last couple of days, is that the bizarre silver lining to this moment, that the barbarity and the live stream nature of this... We haven't seen it. Everything, no, well, we've seen it to a degree. We have certainly not seen it all. No, no, no. We haven't seen it, Dave. How, how do you mean? I've seen things and you have seen things on Telegram channels where you yeah. have to work really hard because yeah. the Google search engine seems to hide things yeah. from us. There is some desire to normalize things. When, when there's a, a, a concepts like um, strategic silence where you don't report the news as a news organization because you're worried about what the social effect of it is. Remember when we did the four types of fake news on the show years ago? Sure. You said one of the type, the most nefarious type I quoted you in my book was the stuff that they won't cover. The stuff that they cover and lie about, we have a little something to work right. with. Right. But when somebody says, you know, um, the mass killer uh, shouted some a religious slogan in a foreign language, no motive is known. It's time to end this once and for all. Uh, and what we're doing is we're, we're playing with ultimate fire. We have to worry about Russia, who in some sense we may have wronged, but they are still butchers and very, very dangerous. China has been playing the long game. I have the ultimate respect for how disciplined they've been, but we have to realize what they really present. India, Pakistan remains incredibly potent. Iran and Israel uh, are poised for something. And people have to realize you've never seen a hydrogen bomb used in anger. Um, the first time it happens will be like 9-11 uh, raised to the thousandth power. Um, this was an anomaly. And we, we squandered the last bit of this. We were supposed to use the post-World War II peace to figure out how to stabilize this place. Mm -hmm. And we failed. We talked about peace dividends. We, we worried more about getting swimming pools and, and uh, luxury automobiles. Is that just the nature of, of human reality? You, you go through these hard times, you build good things, the good people become weak. And, and you know, there's this fourth turning thing. Yeah. And the problem is uh, I have a different version of it, which is uh, hard times make strong men. Strong men make nuclear weapons in good times. Good times make weak men. Weak men in nuclear weapons make end times. And people have to stop this fourth turning nonsense. Okay, so just on the, again, we'll do this. I'm talking as fast as I can. You'll come to Miami, we'll do a proper one, or, or we'll do it on Skype in the meantime. But I just want to, I'm really yeah, trying to nail in person, down. Okay. I'm trying to nail down the, the speech component of this. Tell me. So when you tell me that, the, okay, so the river to the sea is a genocidal chant. Yep. In Florida, DeSantis has passed laws. You know, we ban some of these uh, protests because he's talking about material and, support. And he makes us uncomfortable by banning speech. However, well, it's material support. But yes, people are arguing that it's he's banning speech. My point is, is that he's recognized this is where I the phase transition. Right. So, so how do we encourage that while being respectful of the ideas and, and ideals that we care about? How do we make sure that we have the proper tools, which is what he's done, to, to export to the rest of the country and maybe the world. It has to do with the fact that you need an interpretation of the world that allows you not to have a suicide pact. Democracy is not a suicide pact. Free speech is not a suicide pact. Tolerance is not a suicide pact. Immigration is not a suicide pact. When you start to realize that someone has gamed your culture, there are times when you have to uninvite a dinner guest. And the fact of the matter is we're being given a choice. And the choice is, do you wish to have a naive relationship to your ideas and the gamers uh, come in from outside and weaponize these things against you? Or do you actually realize that you're being called upon to say, what is the soul and intent of free speech, the soul and intent of democracy? 
And so you're being given a choice between the letter and the intent. For example, if you take the First Amendment of the Constitution, it says Congress may make no law uh, respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Somebody says, well, jihad is part of my religion. I am entitled by the First Amendment to practice it, and I will do it with your children. No, you won't. And the reason is, is that we have a Supreme Court that acts as the oral Torah to the written Torah that is the Constitution. And so the Supreme Court is going to be active, and it's going to have to figure out how to get the letter of the decision law, the case law, to match the spirit and intent of the Constitution. It's going to be incredibly unpleasant, but it's a matter of survival. And the Constitution will mean nothing if we don't survive. And we have to realize that we are now facing existential threats because of incredible simplicity. If we have committed one crime during this period, it is we have pushed out the idea that you can understand freedom through simplicities. I believe in free speech. I believe in open borders. I believe in democracy. I believe in one man, one vote. Oh, really? Does Wyoming, which has two senators uh, and no people, have the same power in the Senate as California, which has a tremendous number of people and two senators? No, there's no man, one man, one vote. People are going to have to wake up to the idea that they've been fed childlike aphorisms that do not actually work for the very difficult times we're in. And what I would say is, let's not wait to become those strong people. Uh, let's not be weak people. Let's realize that we do suspend certain kinds of liberty. You're not exactly free to use free speech if you're privy to something about uh, the invasion of beaches of Normandy uh, to just go on social media and say, hey, we've, ugh, huge troop buildup. If that were happening today, we would have to restrict. So the idea is we need to let people in on how a mature society actually handled these things over time. It is the easiest way for people that are maybe not clear about all this to sure. see how for years guys like us were going to college campuses and being called Nazis and had to have security and been protested and microaggressions and all the rest of it. And then the second this thing happens with Israel, suddenly universities are defending your, the call to genocide. Like to me, that's like a very good example of how we can show people, boy, this was only about controlling you. Nothing. Well, look, but you know, there were also issues where people are confused because Israel has chosen to do things that are really uh, not comfortable and maybe not right. You know, no nation has ever only behaved ethically. Uh, Israel's no I, exception. I don't know that any Asian nation has behaved more ethically in, a, in this. Well, I'm not. I'm, well, but I, I get your meta point. Guys. And so my point is, is that there's two basic ways to do this. There's the conservative way, which is you say something simple like, no nation has behaved more ethically given the difficult situation that Israel has always been in at an existential level. So that makes good sense to me. Then there's the liberal way of doing it, which is that you have a paragraph that goes on for, you know, uh, 12 pages with lots of footnotes uh, and pointers and references and hyperlinks. It's a slow delay of the bad. You have to read a lot. Right. Like, I'm, now I'm not saying this and I'm not saying that. So I'm in the camp that does that thing. Right. And then the, the conservatives basically say, we don't have time for this. Here's the simple thing. It's not quite true, but it's true enough. It's like, it's not true that there are only two genders, but it's true enough. And so, you know, we're divided. I'm going to talk about, no, there's persistent Mullerian duck syndrome and you have to understand about developmental identities. Yeah. That divide, we've got to bridge it. Because Even with five-hour podcasts, it starts getting... I understand. Yeah, you get the point. Well, you know, I, I, I look to my, my, my Muslim brothers and cousins. They just say PBUH. They don't say, you know, in the name of Allah, the most compassionate and merciful, and Muhammad is only peace be upon him. They PBUH, mm -hmm. right? Like, let's get to the chase. Right. I think we have to stop. But we just started. This is very bizarre. See you in Florida. There's a lot of people here.
Thanks for tuning into the Rubin Report. Don't forget to review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. If you're looking for early and exclusive content, you can join me on Locals at rubinreport.locals.com.